Thank you so much for being here. I know we had a lot of people out on spring break, a lot of families dispersed, and hope you had a good time and got some rest, and now you're back home having to recover from spring break a little bit, but we, we, uh, we're so glad you're here. Paul and Lynn, it's good to have them back from Canada, uh, the great white north, as the McKenzie brothers used to call it, and Lynn is feeling better. She was ill this week, so we've been praying for her. It's good to have her back in service and not, not feeling, or feeling well, feeling well, so... Uh, so today, we are actually starting a two-week uh, two series, and I'm, I'm entitling it, Get Over It. So look at your neighbor and say, you're going to have to get over it. You got to get over it. You ever been at that point in life where you just felt like, you just felt like, man, I, I'm going to have to look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, you're, you got to get over it. I've had to do that a few times. I've had to look at myself in the mirror and say, Dave, just get over it, man. You're going to have to move on. Uh, one of this week we're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to call it the suburbs of forgiveness. One of one of the greatest obstacles I believe for Christians and their spiritual growth and evolution. Uh, one of the biggest hindrances that will keep you from being everything God has designed you to be is holding grudges and just not being able to release and let go of things. And so forgiveness is a huge, huge part of it. Uh, look, we've all been snake bit in life, haven't we? There's been times that, that something, something has bit us and it hurts. But do you realize no, no one has ever died from a snake bite? There's never been a death from a snake bite. It's the poison that starts circulating through your system, isn't it? It's, it's the venom. All of a sudden, your heart, that's why the Bible says the heart is deceitful. You got to be careful. Why? Because the heart which is your, your one, of, one of the most vital tools to pump life through your body, all of a sudden you get snake bit, it can become one of your greatest enemies because it starts pumping venom all throughout your system, pumping death. And sometimes when you are snake bit in life, when somebody has hurt you uh, and you don't immediately take care of that poison, that venom that can build up your emotions, your heart can start pumping some negativity and, and some darkness all throughout you. That will actually that will actually uh, paralyze you. Sometimes some some folks wind up paralyzed because of snake bites, uh, because of the venom that that courses through their veins. And unforgiveness is that is that type of venom, is that type of paralysis to your Christian walk, to your faith journey. So we want to talk about that. How do you get over it? How do you release people? Uh, it's hard. It's hard, especially when they've been low, and to release them, you feel like you got to get lower than them. And, and it's not so much that you're doing them a favor, but you're doing yourself a huge favor when you're able to just let it go and release it and get over it. So uh, we're going we're gonna to contrast two, two different stories. One is uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, one of my favorite, favorite stories, and then uh, King David. We're going to contrast uh, their forms of forgiveness. We're going to find out Joseph... Joseph was actually uh, extremely Christ-like in the way that he, he operated. Uh, first of all, the main roadblock to receiving God's provisions is unforgiveness, in my, in my opinion. 1 John 2 tells us that if we walk, if we love our brothers, we walk in the light. But if we, we hate our brothers, or in other words, if we put our brothers down, we make our brothers lesser than what we think that they should be, then, then we walk in darkness even until now. So 
Uh, before we get into this text in Genesis, uh, let me just draw some parallels with Joseph and Christ. Joseph parallels the life of Christ. Joseph was the most beloved of his uh, son of his father. Jesus was the only begotten of his father. Joseph was adorned in a beautiful coat. Jesus is robed in glory. Joseph had dreams of his brothers bowing to him. Jesus rules and reigns over his brethren, the church. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by his own people. Joseph was placed in a prison. Jesus was placed in a tomb. Joseph emerged to sit at the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus rose to sit at the right hand of the Father. There's just some incredible parallels that you can draw when you study the life of Joseph and see how it was foreshadowing the work of Christ and the redemptive uh, job that he did for us. So let's look at what took place with Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. He winds up everywhere he went, even though he was in a dire circumstance, uh, he was still favored and blessed. And then eventually he winds up the second most powerful person on the planet next to Pharaoh. And his brothers, because of the famine, had to come to Egypt to get supplies. When he realized what was going on, he starts playing some games with them. They didn't even recognize him. He starts kind of playing some games with them. It turns out that they weren't really uh, all that forthright with them with these games. He exposed them and, and their lying ways even with some of these games. But here he is. He's prepared, he's prepared a, a place for them to sit at the table, and he's going to confront them. Now, he has every right to throw them into prison. He has every right to have them executed. He's got the authority and the power to do so. Yet look at the extreme forgiveness that he has in his heart for them. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So he sends all the servants and everyone away from him. He says, No one stood with him while jo no one stood, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He reveals himself to his brothers, right? And it says, And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. So as he's revealing who he is to his brothers, he's just, he's so broken and he begins to weep saying, hey, it's me, it's Joseph, I'm the brother you sold into slavery. Verse 3, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence, they were scared to death. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came. Look, what, a, what an extreme amount of forgiveness. Here are the people that, that, that meant to ruin his life, meant to destroy him, meant to put him out for good, meant to separate him from everything he had ever known. And yet when he confronts them, his, his countenance and his actions said, come, come near me. No, no, don't be afraid. Come close to me. It's as if he were saying, get, come here, get in my face. You know, when you, when you go to hug somebody, many of you hugged and embraced when you first got here, you, you wind up going face to face. It's, it's an intimate expression. It's, it's dropping your guard. It's a, a sign of trust to allow somebody to get that close to you. So he's saying, come near me. Get, come on, get in my face. What an extreme amount of forgiveness to be able to look at somebody that has hurt you, that has done some things to harm you, and yet God still uses it to bless you. And when you have a chance to confront them, you're able to forgive them to the point that you say, Come here, get in my face. That's extreme forgiveness. That's some crazy forgiveness. That's some difficult forgiveness. Most of us don't always have the ability to do that. I've, I've struggled with that in my life. Most of us are very close to uh, the way that David did things. 
We're going to hop over to 2 Samuel now, chapter 14. David had sons from several wives. You want to talk about a messed up family, man. King David, being king wasn't all that. Man, David had some, some crazy kids. You think your household is crazy. Go read up on David and all the headaches he dealt with with his children, right? Uh, Amnon, his son Amnon had a half-sister named Tamar. And, and Amnon became very attracted to this, this half-sister. Uh, this, this attraction led to rape. Two years passed, and Tamar's brother Absalom, Absalom just, just built up hatred and hatred and hatred toward his half-brother Amnon. And he, and he winds up going and, and murdering Amnon. He sets a trap for him because he wanted vengeance. And so King David was just, he was, King David was just decimated. He was so heartbroken. Now Absalom fled to Geshur. He fled to a, a whole other town. Now over time, David's grief softened, and he really began to miss, miss his son. But he never would talk about it, and he never addressed it, maybe out of pride, maybe out of uh, uh, security, just defense. And Joab, his general, started talking to him, saying, come on, the, the boy really wants to come on home. He, he realizes he's made a mistake. He, he, he realizes uh, he shouldn't have taken vengeance. He realized he hurt you, but he, he wants to come on home. So this is, this is David. David's got a chance to show forgiveness now. But, but look at, look at the, the contrast between him and Joseph. It says, and the king said to Joab, all right, I've granted this. Go, therefore, bring back the young man, Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. Verse 23 says, so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house. Now, he can come on back home. He can go to his own house. But here's the catch. But do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own home, but did not see the king's face. A total contrast of, of Joseph. Now, now, he can come on back home. I'll let him... You know, where, where he's got that house out in the suburbs, I'm going to let him stay there. But Christmas dinner, nah, he ain't coming back here. Easter, yeah, his kids are going to have to find another field to hunt in because he ain't going to hunt near me. Birthdays, no, nah, he's not invited to my birthday. He can't see my face. I will forgive him, but he's got to stay out there. That's a huge contrast, and that's where a lot of times we, we are. All right, I'll let you off the hook, but you know what? you got to stay at arm's length because I'm not going to trust you ever again. And we let little remnants of that, that venom stick around in our system, and it keeps pumping and pumping. And we can't figure out why we can't move past things in life. We can't figure out why we can't uh, 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 grow or why we're still struggling in certain areas of our, of our life because he that loves his brother walks in the light, but he who hateth or, or puts down his brother walks in darkness even until now. Many of us are walking in darkness and stumbling over things that we, we shouldn't be stumbling over. It's just that the lights are out. Why? Because we still have ought against somebody. We still are holding grudges. We still, are, 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 uh, we, we, we still won't let go of things in the past. 
And so here's this two, this two contrast. You got Joseph saying, no, come near me. Get in my face. Then you got David saying, I'll let you be here, but you know what? You got to be standoffish. You can't see my face. You can't get close to me anymore. Now, granted, I understand there are some people that, that have had such horrible things done to them by others that it would be very toxic and devastating to have to interact and be in the same room even with some people from the past. I understand that. But there's a place that you can get in the spirit that in, 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 a, in a metaphoric sense, you can actually say, you know what? I release you. I let down my guard. I pray for you. Uh, I'll, share, I'll share an example from my life here in a moment. But I'm talking about in generalities, day-to-day things, people that you have to work with, neighbors that you live by, folks you go to church with, family members. My goodness, family members. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're going to cry at their funeral, but you ain't going to go on vacation with them, right? Family members. You know, we're just going to keep you, I'll forgive you, but you're not getting close to me. Man, what freedom would come if we could just learn to forgive the way that Christ, and it is a learning. It's not something that we can do in our own power. So what I want to talk to you today for the sake of, uh, without trying to oversimplify things and for the sake of time, uh, because we do have a finite amount of time, we get to be here, uh, I want to talk to you, oh, first of all, let's, let's talk about this. Here's the issue that we deal with. God kind of drops this bomb on, on us in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and 18. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Now notice, he, he's, given us the, he's given us the freedom to have conflict and to address conflict, right? He says, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. So there's the trick. If you have issue with somebody, there's nothing wrong with going and addressing that issue. And having dialogue. And sometimes you got to butt heads a little bit. Sometimes things may get a little heated between that conversation. But you need to get it out and deal with it. Why? Because you don't want to bear sin because of them. You don't want that poison, that venom from that snake bite to keep working through your system, right? And you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord. So what he's saying is, look, I will, I'll let you, you've got the right to get mad. You've got the right to get upset. You've got the right to be hurt. You have the right to even address it, to go to the person, argue it out if you need to, confront them if you need to. But you can't bear a grudge, and you can't try to get even. Vengeance belongs to me, he's saying. Why? Because you can't handle it. I, God says, I'm in charge of repaying people for anything that they need repayment for. And I'm a gracious God, and I'll do it as I see fit. But you don't get that authority. You don't have that right. I give you the right to be upset and confront it, but you can't hold on to it. And you can't try to fix it by your own judgment. That belongs to me. So how do we even live with that? How do we deal with that? Okay. So we're going to talk about five, five steps to forgiveness without trying to oversimplify it. But I will say, if, if, you, can, if you can learn to, to maybe even operate uh, in, in, in this mechanism, then, then you'll be on your way down the journey, the road to forgiveness. Forgiveness is not always drawing a line and being able to step over it and say, ha, huh, look, I've forgiven this person. Let's move on. Sometimes you can do that. Oftentimes, forgiveness is a road. It's a bit of a journey. But if you'll actually try to implement these, uh, these, these steps, 
I promise you, you'll be well on your way to that journey. Number one, connect with the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds very Christian-y. It sounds very churchy, but, but I, I really mean it. On a daily basis, begin to connect with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit within you placed there is placed there to be a teacher and director, a direct communicator, a direct communicator of the will of God. He will guide you in the path of forgiveness. John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. He will teach you all things. You don't need a preacher all the time in your life. You don't need a Bible teacher all the time in your life. Why? Because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the great teacher that will teach you everything that the Father is trying to say. There was a time in my life, uh, there was someone who had done horrible, unspeakable things to some of the members in my family, and they were related by marriage, and, and uh, they had been divorced from, from my family for quite a while, uh, had done some horrible, horrible things um, to the point that it, uh, it even things became very legal. There, there, was, a, there was a court situation. Um, and, and if there was ever a person, I'm going to be very transparent, if there was ever a person I truly had hatred for in my life, I struggled with it, with this person. As laid back as I am and as easygoing as I am, I, I, there was a time in my life I, I purely hated this person with everything in me. Uh, to the point, and I knew I was in trouble with where I was, because there was a point that I, on a Wednesday, I remember a Wednesday night church service, I sat there, I couldn't tell you what the, what the sermon was, but I can tell you what I thought the entire sermon. I was trying to think if I could get away with doing something and hiding the body. <laughs> as crazy and funny as that sounds, I was dead serious about it. I mean, it was that kind of hatred, and, and it hit me on the way home. The Lord said, do you realize what you did all night? And I said, yeah, I was at church. He goes, no, you weren't. And he reminded me, no, see, vengeance is mine. You have a right to be hurt. You have a right to be angry, but you don't have a right to start plotting things. That belongs to me. And I said, Lord, how can I? I can't forgive this person. And he said, why don't you ask me? I'm pretty good at forgiving people. I forgave you, didn't I? So that's exactly what I did. Holy Spirit, teach me to forgive. Teach me to forgive. And he did. He began to walk me on a journey to where I could truly forgive this person. Right? Step two, move on to the next act. Move on to the next act. Why? The crime is not currently being committed. If you're, if you're sitting here and you're holding something against somebody, they're not doing it to you right now, whatever that crime was. You're sitting right here in the Commodore ballroom listening to me. Yet your mind may be replaying it over and over and over. And so it feels like that crime is constantly being forgetted or, or, or constantly being committed. So what you need to do is bring your awareness back into the right now. All the promises of God take place right now. Because that's all we really have. We don't even have a future. He holds our future. You don't have a past, do you? Yeah, I have a past. Well, show it to me. You got it in your pocket? Is it under your chair? Do you stash it there? Oh, it's in your mind. Well, if we allow our minds to be renewed, as the Spirit said, as the Scriptures say, so bring your mind back into the now. If you're dealing with depression, your mind is, is drifting to the past way too much. If you're dealing with anxiety, you're letting your mind... Drift to the future way too much. And there's a myriad of possibilities that the future holds. But if you can bring your mind back to the right now, that's where all the promises and the grace and the love and forgiveness and the peace of God resides is in your present moment. 
Everything you need is right now, right? So don't allow your past to distract you from what God is doing in your right now. The past no longer exists. The future doesn't exist. All we have is our right now. God is operating in our now. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Okay? Number three, own your feelings. Own your feelings. Nobody has the power to make you feel any way you don't give them permission to make you feel. Ultimately, you hurt by your own permission. Well, that's, that's hard. That's hard to accept. But if I'm going to sit here and, and feel pain over and over and over because of something that someone did to me, that's because I'm permitting myself to feel that pain. Ultimately. Rather than focusing on the perpetrator, focus on yourself. Ask Asking why you feel this way. Allow, allow yourself to feel this way. So, so rather than just constantly over and over replaying it in your mind, sit there and ask yourself, okay, why, why am I letting myself hurt? Allow yourself to hurt. Don't judge the pain as good or bad. Judge it as an indicator of where you're at. And then say, oh, Lord, Teach me, show me why I am allowing myself to hurt. What is it in me that needs to heal? What is it in me that needs to shift? What is it in me uh, that needs to grow to get me to a place that I can transcend this pain and I can release it and I can let it go? And what you're also doing by doing that is shifting your attention from the perpetrator back to yourself. So, so all that venom and all that anger and all that energy that you're placing on that person is now, now shifting to a place that can be much more positive and, and uh, collective for what God wants to do in your life. Number four, practice giving. Practice giving. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you're struggling with unforgiveness, what's one of the easiest ways to get on the road to forgiveness? Start giving. Start blessing. This, this particular individual that I hated, that had harmed my family so bad, Eventually, actually went to prison. This, he, he will be in prison probably the rest of his life. If not, he will be about 76 years old when he's released from prison. So chances are he's probably going to die in prison. It's a hard life in there. So I started asking the Lord. I said, how can I, how can I give to him? I can't show up. I'm not on a visitor list. He's not going to put me on a visitor list. And, and then I don't think that the security would let me give anything to him. And the Lord said, no, you're going to give him. This is what you're going to give him when you wake up first thing in the morning. He's the first person you're going to pray for because he still belongs to me and he still needs healing in his life and he still needs my grace extended over him. And that's what you're going to pray for. And so for weeks, I would wake up in the morning and during my time of prayer, he was the first person that I would pray for. That was my gift to him. That was my way of giving. And through days of doing that, all of a sudden I was able to soften. He's still on a daily basis. He's, he's one of the people I pray for. Now, he has no clue. I will probably never see this man again in my lifetime. Unless the Lord chooses to direct it a certain way. 
but that's my gift to him. I give to him by doing that. That's how if the, those, those people that have, that have hurt you so bad that it would be too toxic for you to stand in their presence right now, that's one of the ways that you can give to them. Pray for them. Pour love into your prayer for them. Speak life into their, into their situation. Now, those that are nearby that you just need to get released from, cook something for them. Take them something to drink. Bless them. Do something wonderful for them. Show up one day and mow their lawn. How crazy would that be? I can't even get, I can't even get my husband to own my own, uh, mow my own lawn, much less mow somebody else's lawn. But, but, but think about that. Practice giving. Five, finally, be kind instead of right. If you ever have the choice to be kind or be right, choose kind. Say, but we got to be right. Look, if, if, if truth is truth, truth is going to stand no matter what. You don't have to defend truth. You don't have to fight for truth. Why? Because truth prevails. Truth remains. God is truth. Does God need defending? He's God. Does God need you to fight for him? I don't think God needs anything. He's God. He is everything. But for our sake, rather than worrying about struggling for, to be right and to prove our rightness, why don't we just put effort into being kind? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Nowhere did Paul say anything about, put on justifying your rightness. No, he said, put on kindness. Just be good to people. Love people. All of that's going to shift your attention away, shift all your energies away, shift all of your, your intention away from focusing in on this crime that's been committed in your life. All of that is working to get the venom out of your system. Does it happen overnight? Well, for sometimes. But oftentimes it's a journey. But it's principles you just got to put into effect over and over. Let's all stand. Now, this is what's beautiful. You can come on up, play something slow and sad for me, JJ. That's how, it, that's how you got to end sermons, man. Slow and sad. No. Uh, this is what's wonderful. This is, what's, this is what's wonderful about the promise that we have in God. When all is said and done, and your life is finished, and you are standing in glory, whatever heaven's going to be like, and oh, we could all open up the Bible and we could all debate about it. I mean, who knows? All I know is it's going to be something fantastic and something beautiful waiting on us. So check this out. John winds up having uh, this, this whole vision, this whole heavenly vision in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. It says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. Boy, that sounds beautiful. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see, everyone say it, his face. 
That means no matter how many knuckle-headed decisions I've made in life, no matter how many times I've blown it here on earth, no matter how many times I fall short of everything he's created me to be, no matter how many times I've, I've almost nearly exhausted his grace, <laughs> when it's all said and done and I show up in front of him, you know what he's going to say? Come here, get in my face. Come near to me. One of the most beautiful scriptures in all all the Bible is found in Revelation. When it's all said and done, at the end of time, you know, we, we love condemning people for some reason within churches. We love just stomping on people for some reason. And, and just, the, just the, the mere, it's been crazy that we have found joy and, and, and thinking that God would want to punish folks. Yet when it's all said and done, the Bible says that the bride and the spirit beckon to all, Come come. And if there's anything that God wants to say to any of us today is, guys, get in my face. Come near to me. Draw close to me. Whatever it is that you may have been struggling with of late, man, he wants to carry that burden. He wants to exchange it. He said, take my yoke. It's easy. Take my burden. It's light. There's someone here today that needs to be released. Released. Some of you Someone here needs to invite somebody in away from the suburbs of forgiveness and let them get back into your face. Let them get back in to your realm of intimacy. Who is it that you need to give a phone call today? Who is it that you need to email? Who is it you may need to text? Who is it, which door do you need to go knock on today and say, you know what? Life is short. We've had words. Let's just, let's work this out. It's not worth either one of us pumping venom in our heart. Let's all bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for your unconditional love and your great inexhaustive grace and, for, and mercy. Thank you for all the times you have willingly forgiven me. Teach me to forgive that way. Teach me to call people in from the suburbs, to let them back into my life. Teach me to reflect your love, your mercy, your grace unconditionally with great joy and gladness. Mold me, shape me, make me just like you. Help me to die out to who I think I should be, but grow into who you've made me to be. We just glorify you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song before, before we're dismissed. If anyone needs prayer, come hunt me down afterwards. I may be tearing down the drums, but I will stop in a heartbeat if you want prayer or if you need advice or if you just need anything. Find someone and let them pray for you today. Let's sing one more song together.